Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McMinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. What a fabulous lead-up to Thanksgiving, a biblical reminder that God is the owner of all that we have. Who's sitting on the throne in our hearts? Are we bound by something earthly when we should be looking to heaven? One of our daughters echoed our feelings, as children tend to do, when she told us she was put out that this verse meant nothing was really hers. She asked how we knew that was what it meant. I dug around in my theological books and checked online for some solid proof, which turns out not to be so solid, but more a learned interpretation of what these words in the original Aramaic are saying. And really, anyone who has eyes to read will see immediately that David is praising his Lord in his own language, Aramaic, and there is no doubt that he recognizes his awesome God as creator of all things, thus owner of all things. I don't know if I can say that I fully act as if everything belongs to God. I have such an affiliation for my things, especially as a lot of them are once again around me in our new flat. I pray each day that I take into my heart the truth that all my wealth, whether it's a little or great, belongs to God, my Creator. As we enter the holiday season, let us be mindful that the Lord is exalted as head over all, and we must give thanks and praise to his glorious name and everything around us. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons, too. A physically challenged child or parent, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who's bored in kindergarten, a conflict in religious teachings, a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who weren't their mother, and I wanted to make my own decisions about how to raise my children. On this show, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers, and graduates who find education opportunities everywhere and thrive. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. God and children all do that. I've gained insights and delights that I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. The beauty of walking through pasture lands, the mockingbirds singing, rain falling softly, ice on the fountain, the smell of fire f of freshly mown grass, a serious hug or lightning off in the distance. If you pop by, I'll offer you hot chocolate and freshly baked scone today, but I understand 
I'm here in Texas, and you are out there somewhere listening. After the first break, I'm thrilled to be welcoming back my good friend, Marsha Washburn, who's going to be speaking to us about one of her e-books that goes with her series, Management for Mums, called Managing the Holidays. We'll be looking at ways to slow down for these holy days and not turn them into harried days, so stay tuned. I'm all set. Grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNennies, where I'm looking at setting the holidays apart from regular days, providing enrichment for the whole family and things to be thankful for. Are you ready? Here we are, less than a week before Thanksgiving, and already I am crazy busy. Part of it is that I have to prepare three shows in advance for the holiday, meaning that my normal week, where I only have to spend a few hours researching a guest and interviewing her, is trebled. And I'm writing bios, updating articles, scheduling posts, finding photos, composing questions, coordinating record times. A lot of extra work on top of my normal week. Then we had another big move, which you'll hear all about, I'm sure, one day. But, hey, don't want to overload you on this busy, busy time. Have you noticed Thanksgiving seems to have been skipped by the commercial industry? For the past couple of weeks, well, actually, since the beginning of November, it's been all about Christmas. Not here at the McNinnies. We're going to look at Thanksgiving and enjoy November and let December come along in its own time, which it will without any coaxing from us. Big question here. I love asking fellow homeschoolers this, and my non-homeschooling family and friends would ask me too. How, Vivian, do you differentiate between holidays, vacations, and school days, since you're at home all the time with your children? This is a good question with an obvious answer. Since we are always together and never go to school, how do we really appreciate time off? And make it different. The obvious and glib answer is just put away the school books and voila, holiday. It doesn't quite work like that and didn't in our house. Yes, we put away the books, but after lunch, I really needed to be able to let the children feel the difference between being in school and being on a break. I suppose the trick for me was we had a rigid schedule while school was in session so we could loosen up on that when I took a week off or decided to take the whole of December off because dad was traveling and there was just too much to do for one parent preparing for all the excitement, the worship and the festivities. We entertain and cook a lot in our house. We'd allow everyone, yes, including me, to sleep later for a start. That was mostly fun for me. The children, as children do before they become teenagers, still got up early and they could play, which they did, masterminding ambitious home movies or games of hide-and-seek or mammoth puzzle competitions. When I got up, we'd all sit at the table in our PJs for breakfast. In fact, for the first few days of a holiday, casual attire was strongly encouraged. It seemed to change the feel of the one-room schoolhouse, turning it into a one-room playhouse. In the morning, television was allowed, and they could watch their favourite show, Last Scene, when they still went to Gloria's years ago, the babysitter they started with while I was still working. And I still loved Sesame Street and Thomas the Tank Engine. In the afternoons, if they agreed on a film, they were allowed to watch it while resting. They didn't always nap. That was for the babies. But they did take a rest so that I could do something without having to supervise their activities. 
These couple of activities amounted to a major difference in their daily routines, and one they looked forward to immensely, since they never watched any sort of TV except on a Friday evening, when they stayed up a little later to watch a movie, which was really a video, so it wasn't television. During the day. I would do fun art projects or whatever it was one doesn't have time to do on a regular basis, and I'm not talking about science projects here. Our favorite activity was painting T-shirts. Other projects included making potpourri, drying fruits, raking leaves. Yes, buying flowering plants, decoupage. We really love doing that. Did you know anything can be decoupaged? <laughs> I've given pedicures and manicures, painted nails, braided hair. We've even deep cleaned something, and that was always fun because you never knew what you may find in the deepest recesses of the kitchen cabinets. We'd make cakes and cookies, fudge and praline, shortbread and lemon curd, peach preserves and chutneys, depending on the time of holiday we were in, or time of year that the holiday we were celebrating was in. For outings, we'd go to the cinema in the afternoons, or even in the morning if the fancy took us. We'd do a drive-through at a restaurant for a treat. Visit malls just to walk around and people watch, and we'd share a large pretzel or two. A favorite outing was a trip to a grocery store where we knew there'd be samples. It was a good way to have snacks for lunch. If there was appropriate seasonal music to listen to, we'd do that too. Sometimes our holidays would coincide with a trip to England, where we'd completely change our lifestyle right down to the type of food we ate and the people we mixed with. In this situation, it was easy to differentiate between school and break. So in general, we stopped watching the clock so closely. Although bedtime never varied much, unless we went to see a play in the evening, we'd change our meal times, have tea breaks whenever we felt the need to gather at the table and talk. We'd always pray. Throughout the Bible, we were reminded that when Jesus took time off from walking and preaching, he'd go away to a to be quiet with his Father in heaven. Just because we were on holiday didn't mean we gave our prayers a holiday as well. In fact, we found more time to go to church, attending weekday masses we'd otherwise not have made during the school term. There have been times when I have transferred family videos onto DVDs. <clears throat> This was a great activity because the family movies are the children's all-time favorites to watch. I'd be playing them at real-time speed, non-stop in the living room. While this marathon task was going on, I had to keep notes on what events were occurring on the screen, and I always had a couple of willing monitors to tell me when one tape had finished and the next one needed to be set up. And、during long breaks like the summer, we tried to continue with the math and Latin a couple of times a week, but we made sure it only took an hour out of the fun-filled day of free play among the siblings. It's important for everyone involved to make a differentiation between school time and break time. My main suggestion is to fill your breaks with things you don't usually do when school's in session, and if there aren't many of those things, then perhaps cutting back on some extracurricular activities while the term's in session may help the ordinary become special. Have fun during your breaks. And talking of breaks, before I go on my first one, I'm going to introduce Marsha Washburn, my very creative and musically gifted and artistic friend, who's going to be with us this afternoon. Marsha and I have talked in the past about the Shuar Indians of eastern Ecuador and her hands-on electronic book Beethoven, who.
written for any teacher who wants to teach music but may not be fully equipped to do so. We've talked about encouragement for homeschooling mums, and Marsha certainly knows how to offer that in a warm and humorous way. She holds a master's in music education and taught public school music for eight years prior to the birth of their first of oldest of five sons, whom she and her husband homeschooled in rural Colorado for 19 years. Marsha is a columnist for two major home education magazines and speaks nationally and internationally about homeschooling and building a firm foundation for our children that won't crumble under pressure. She has a series of e-books called Management for Moms, and I've been promoting one of her e-books, Managing the Holidays. Today, we're going to be talking about how to spread out the joy this holiday season and fully enjoy those festivals God gave us in order to grow and be refreshed. As all of us know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are hardly times we busy mums think of as restful holidays. Go replenish your drink and I'll be back in just a moment with Marsha Washburn. How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo. Dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out MarkLipinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Welcome, Marsha. It's such a pleasure to have you on my show again this afternoon. It's always great to visit with you, Vivian. Well, Marcia, tell me a little bit about um, how you are, and it's been, well, May 2013 was the last time we spoke, so it's been over a year. I'm sure a lot's happened. It, yes, it's been a very busy year. Um, we are in the process of adding on to our house. Our uh, family is growing. Um, mm-hmm. our, our sons are married and have children, grandchildren, uh, nine at the moment, and um mm-hmm. When they, they just love to come home, and so unlike most couples in their empty nest years, we are building on instead of downsizing. Yes, I noticed that in your email, 1,900 square feet. I was going to ask you what the motivation was behind that. I suspected grandchildren. 
You you suspect it exactly because most of our children are scattered throughout the country, and indeed one family just returned from mission service in Peru. So uh, when they come, it's not just stop by Grandma's house for for dinner on Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. Generally, they stay for several days, and so yeah. well. For example, uh, the upcoming holiday we will have. Uh, 26 house guests plus uh, an additional eight for dinner. Wow. Uh, so it it will be a full house when we are celebrating Christmas this year. Well, Marcia, um, how is the construction coming? It's coming along well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My husband uh, retired about oh, almost a year and a half ago, and mm-hmm. he loves to build. He's an electrician mm-hmm. by trade, but he is skilled at a lot of things, and so he's been digging out, excavating under our existing house to enlarge the basement there. And then mm-hmm. we added an additional basement, and we will uh, frame out uh, an addition to the living room on mm-hmm. top of that. So that's where all that extra square footage comes, and we hope to be able to um, add another bathroom and some bedrooms and some much-needed mm-hmm. storage as well. Well, good. Now, you said that your son from Peru is... Um back home with you. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes. Um, he is a medical doctor, and mm-hmm. they had uh, moved to Peru about a, a year and a half ago, had done their language study, and moved to serve at a relatively new hospital, just seven years old, high in the Andes Mountains, not too far southwest of Cusco, about a two-and-a-half or three-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And it's in the very poorest section of Peru. There was no medical care to speak of prior to the building of this state-of-the-art hospital. And um, so people from all over the world, it, it truly is an international effort. It, it is a wonderful story all in its own right of how Diospi Suyana, the name of the hospital, which means we trust in God in mm-hmm. Quechua, um, how it came to be founded uh, without debt, without credit, uh, it, over $21 million to build and equip that hospital. Wow. And it was all donated by God's people through mm. uh, amazing, amazing readings. People might enjoy reading about that story. YWAM has a, a book about Dr. Klaus Dieter John uh, that tells the, the story of the hospital. All right. Okay, and so, but your son had to return because there were had to come some back earlier than expected because uh, two of their very young children, the one-year-old and the two-year-old, uh, were having some rather severe health issues, not gaining weight. Uh, I mean, for months at a time, not gaining weight, which of course is not normal. And they had seen specialists and were just not thriving. So, eventually, the family uh, felt that they needed to move back to the states, and I'm. Happy to report that they are thriving ever since. They, uh, the little boy gained over a pound in his first nine days back in the States. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> cool. wonderful. But it's not so great for them. You know, that's his dream for them to do that. And um, hopefully, I mean, I know he's looking for another job. Hopefully he'll find something uh, close to you or somewhere in America. Well, we we would love for them to be close by, but we want for him to be wherever God is calling him to serve. He right. he was able to serve over 2,000 Quechua Indians during the time he was there and lead many yeah. of them to the Lord. And um, it was a heartbreak, really, for, for them to leave, but um, they also understood that they couldn't sacrifice their children's health either. So yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was becoming a critical issue. So, yes, he has had a number of job offers, and they just need to discern which which is the choice that God has for them at this time. But in the meantime, we are enjoy having them uh, living in in our home. Yes, well, good. And as you mentioned, with the holidays coming up, we've got um, Christmas especially um, looming. That you're going to have twenty six house guests plus eight extra for dinner and i know your house at the moment is um well you think of us how big a house do you need for that many people and i know that you've written about that and that the size of the house really you know sort of doesn't mean that you can't have people there to stay there are ways around all of that so let's talk a little bit about the anxiety anxiety these holidays cause some young mums and some older mums too as they run around you know trying to do too much getting worried trying to make everything right let's let's calm them down a little bit marsha with some of your wisdom <laughs> let's <laughs> let's do do that you know it it always strikes me that moms are already so busy they they have you know and especially homeschooling mothers have have so much on their plate they don't even have a full plate they have a full platter like yeah. you would put your thanksgiving turkey on and then at christmas they add an extra 10 or 20 hours a week to all of the things that they're already doing and they wonder why they're exhausted and they can't really enjoy the holiday and that is something that over the years the lord has really had to deal with me on in in just remembering to to focus on what the celebration of Christmas is really about, mm-hmm. you know, it really was God's idea to to put into humans' lives the the various festivals like Passover and Yom Kippur and others, and and even the weekly celebration of the Sabbath. He he knew that we needed that that kind of change of pace and that that cause for celebration and we're we're no different in the 21st century than they were in the old testament days but we we pressure ourselves in trying to be perfect don't we mm, we do we certainly do we think the house and the children and the food has to be just right and i don't know if we're trying to prove something to our friends and family or to ourselves that we are super moms but our holidays become harried days instead mm-hmm. of, of times of relaxation. So over over the years, um, I have learned to settle down a little bit and not try to do every single wonderful idea that comes along. And, you know, I think the younger our children are and the larger our families, the less additional things we need to be plugging in at Christmas. Okay, so what what do you you know what what would you suggest? Because it seems that the singing carols and the programs and pilgrimages and to grandmas and I mean, it's too much. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. So, um, how did you scale down when you realized that you were doing too much? Well, um, I think I scaled back a little bit as each baby was born. Some of your listeners will remember that we have five boys, no mm-hmm. girls, which means I didn't get a lot of help in the kitchen. <laughs> they had other things to do. And so, you know, when I was growing up, 
it was our family tradition to meet with one other family. I grew up in the suburbs. There were just the four of us in my family, my sister and parents and me. And there was another family that was only four, and they would serve the the holiday meal at 5 o'clock in the afternoon because whoever was hosting had to make all of the food except the pies. And when you have little children underneath helping you, then uh, you need it all day to prepare a a turkey and all of the trimmings. When I married into my husband's family, there was a large extended family in the area. And so they would, uh, their, their tradition was to meet at noon for the meal so they could have as much time as possible to visit with each other. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how on earth that would be possible. Well, yeah. what I learned was that they all bring part of the meal. Mm-hmm. So one brings the salad, one brings the bread, one, one even brings a crock pot full of mashed potatoes. Because oh. you know how it is to try to mash those potatoes at the last minute. Yeah. And another thing that really was a lifesaver as far as the meal was concerned was I started cooking my turkey in one of those uh, cooking bags, and it goes much faster. I didn't have to have the bird in the oven at 2 o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. uh, which was necessary for a 25-pound turkey if we were going to have it ready to carve at 11 o'clock and serve at 12. So I could get up at a reasonable hour of 6.30 and get it into the oven and, and have it ready. So that helped, and also thinking that I didn't, realizing I did not have to do it all myself. Someone else could make their green bean casserole. I didn't have to do absolutely everything. So as far as the meal was concerned, those were some things that helped us. Um, and then, is that how, how you did things uh, with, with your family? Oh, or? yeah. Well, in England, you see, it was, it was quite different. We would, um, people didn't take food along, not in our family anyway. So whoever was hosting did everything. Ah. And we had two days. We had the Christmas holiday itself. So you went to one side of the family on Christmas Day. Then you went to the other side of the family because we were all, well, they weren't all living in London. They were living in different places. But we would have to go to the other side of the family on the next day, which was Boxing Day. And again, whoever was hosting would do everything. And it was generally leftovers. And I'm trying to think whether we ever took any leftovers with us. I don't think we ever did to help out. So it wasn't until I came to America that this everybody brings something sort of organized potluck. That was the first time I encountered that. I don't know how different that is now in England, but doesn't look as though it's that different because I spent Christmas there five years ago. And I, as the visitor in rented accommodation, did the whole Christmas meal for like 15 people. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I I can understand having to get up really early in the morning and putting that turkey in and getting everything ready and on the table at the right time, you know, for everyone. So. Well, and that timing is is critical, and I was very thankful that as my mother got older and it, it simply became too much for her to host us, and, you know, grandparents are generally more portable than families with young children. 
That's as right, young yes. children have to take so much equipment along, you know, the high chairs and the playpens and the, and the diaper bags and all of those things, especially if it's far enough that you're staying overnight, mm-hmm. that after a while I said, we'll host it here if you will just come here instead. It, it, it just became easier that way. And I, you know, after my mother was, was not... Uh, wanting to to host the dinner all by herself anymore then um even if we were there helping then she was at my side to teach me all the little tricks and tips and she would get up with me in the morning and Mm -hmm. make sure that i was doing it right and i'm so grateful for that now that she is gone i Mm -hmm. i smile each time i get out those recipes in her handwriting and remember how grateful i am that she taught me those things Right, Marsha, we have to go on a really short break, and when we get back, we'll continue with this conversation, okay? How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Marsha, one of the questions I was going to ask you before you described um, the food that they ate was, well, could they still do their traditional Christmas dinner? And obviously not. <laughs> uh, no, they they have whatever is available. You know, yeah. in some parts yeah. of the world, you can get traditional things. When our son was um, living in Dominica, which is one of the poorer island countries in the Caribbean. Um, they they had trouble. They could get chicken, but they couldn't get turkey. Um, mm-hmm. They could get other things, but cranberries, uh, if they wanted them, had to be imported, and you would spend 6 or $8 for just a little 15-ounce can of cranberries, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but they they wanted to help people understand, especially around Thanksgiving, that was a more traditional meal. And then at Christmas, they would sometimes have other kinds of foods. But it was quite an international community. And so, um, you know, you, you just have what you're able to have and realize that it's really not about specific foods or about gift giving. Um, but it really is about... Uh, realizing that the God of the universe came down and humbled himself to be born in a stable of all places, the humblest Mm -hmm. of surroundings, 
in, in order to identify with us and so that we could understand who he is and, and what he, he wants for us to do. So, um, however, I, getting back to the shore people in, in Ecuador, they uh, love to learn to bake cookies along with our missionary friend. Okay. And uh, they would, they didn't talk so much about gifts, but they would do extra things together. They, they would mm-hmm. just have events together. And each of the different shore villages would celebrate in different ways. And sometimes it was a bit of a contest, a competition, to see who could do the, the most interesting thing. And one village might have a, a parade one weekend, and the next weekend it would be another one's turn, and they would do an elaborate drama with practice sessions for days on end. And um, they, they would each just kind of do some, some special thing, and then all of the people would go from village to village to see what the others were doing. So it became uh, six or eight weeks of celebrating Christmas. I was especially um, heartwarmed to know that they are allowed to not only celebrate Christmas in their public schools down there, but it's expected. And, and each of the classes in the first grade through 12th grade would prepare a Christmas pageant that told the story of Jesus' birth. And uh, Goodness, my husband that's wonderful. that the year that he was there, the senior class had rigged some kind of a, a zip line sort of thing from one tree to another, and they made the star travel along along that zip line as the wise men were following the star. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It was fun, to, fun to see what they did, but indeed they have more freedom to to talk about Christmas in their schools than we do here in the states. I know. I know. Sometimes that's. That's quite amazing. But they are in South America, and you, we, I always think of South America as being very heavily Christian. Uh, well, you know, it's um, technically Peru is a, or not Peru, Ecuador is a, uh, a Catholic country, but mm-hmm. um, most of the people don't really have a, an understanding of what the Christian religion is. It was kind of when the um, Spaniards came through as convert or die, so they converted, but they just kind of mixed it in with with their traditional um, tribal beliefs, and so it's very syncretized and um, it, it's sort of in name only. So when evangelicals go in, they have a lot of reteaching to do about what really is in the Bible and what really isn't in the Bible and mm-hmm. what's a tradition uh, that's biblical and what's a tradition that came from the from the tribe or or whatever. So it's it's been an interesting um, thing to to hear all of these missionaries tell about how they celebrate. Well, and did you have something at all about the Central African Republic? You know, my I asked my husband about that. He served for a year there um, as a short term missionary. Actually, during the year that we were engaged to be married, it was it was kind of an interesting situation to write him a letter and it would arrive 30 days later and he would write me a letter and 30 days later I would get it. He would send it out on somebody who was walking out to the next town or maybe riding a a bicycle that had a couple of chickens tied to the handlebars Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But as far as we know, none of the letters were were lost, even with that primitive method. And I asked him about Christmas and he he didn't really have a lot of memory of it. Now, granted, that was 38 years ago, so that, that was stretching it a bit. But he did remember that the uh, senior missionaries there 
had arranged for one of the local tailors to make him a pair of short pants because all he had taken with him were were blue jeans and he needed something that was lighter weight and and shorter because of course it was over 100 degrees and and humid and rainy all the time so um he he remembered that other holidays they would just do with whatever they had. You know, there might be some little gift that somebody had made for somebody. And I remember a picture that they had made a, a, a cake that was shaped like a giraffe for their little boy when he turned seven that year on his birthday. So um, he just didn't really remember too much about how Christmas was. I think he was mostly missing his sweetie back in the States. <laughs> <At least my laughs> yes, yes, so. of course. <laughs> Of course. Well, you know, it is difficult um, being away from home over the holidays and it is it is difficult, um, you know, trying to uh, adjust to other cultures and even from America to England. I mean, you don't even have to go to Ecuador and, and um, other more remote places. But what you say about uh, the birth of Christ and the gift that God gave us um, uh, by sending his son to save us is of tantamount importance. And you, yourself, you say you have a couple of trees in your house that I'd like to talk about a little, because I think the way you decorate the trees are very original and um, inspiring. So tell us about your trees. Well, I'd be happy to. You know, we wanted to keep the focus on Jesus' birthday for our children as we were raising them. And uh, our after our one-year-old pulled the Christmas tree over on top of himself, we decided that we'd better have things that were non-breakable. So for the mm-hmm. several years, I made little quilted, heart-shaped ornaments to remind us that God loves us. And that's how we decorated the tree. As the children got older and could be trusted not to destroy the tree and then and endanger themselves, then I decided to make what I called a creator tree. I wanted everything on that tree to reflect in some way um, the message of Christmas and Easter and the whole story of God's salvation for us. So it has things that are in gold to, to remind us. Uh, the ornaments in gold remind us of uh, Jesus' kingship, and some of them are crosses or, or crowns or things like that. Um, there are things that are in um, pearl uh, kinds of decorations because he is the pearl of great price. There are ones that have a crystal look um, for purity. I have several that are music-related because of all the musical things that we, we do at Christmas. I just wanted everything on that to relate to the Creator. And then later on, we we also had acquired quite a few ornaments that um, related to the creation. And so we put that tree up in our sunroom, and it has, oh, moose and bear and deer and all kinds of animals that God has created. And at the top of that tree, instead of putting a star or a crown, I have a, a crown of thorns and... Uh, we put that on the top to remind us that the Creator died for His creation and that uh, all of creation is to remember who it, who it is that we worship during Christmas. 
So it's been a real conversation piece, not only for our family, but also for my piano students and other guests that come into our home to um, explain why we chose to decorate our trees that way. I think that's wonderful. And, you know, when I was, when I was in England, we had um, at our church, there was a beautiful um, creche that they kept up way after Epiphany, you know, how here Epiphany, you know, is the sign that that's when the tree goes down, that's when everything goes away, until a feast, Michaelmas. And there was a special celebration that we had at the church, and we had the creche, and that was when it came down, and then the cross, because we're looking away from the birth to the death and our salvation story. And it was just a very, very powerful thing because we all looked to the creche to do certain prayers and then we all turned towards the cross for Easter looking forward to Easter of course this happens during Lent and it just brings everything so beautifully together and the way you've done that tree with your crown of thorns on top just reminds us that God you know gave us this wonderful gift and his son made this tremendous sacrifice so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. What a wonderful message, Marsha. Exactly. It's, you know, it's that, that whole liturgical year. Too many of us leave Jesus in the manger. We, mm-hmm. we look at him as sweet baby Jesus, meek and mild, you know. And mm-hmm. too many people outside of uh, Christendom, who that's, that's the only thing they know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's either a baby at, at Christmas or he's used as a swear word, but they never take the full journey all the way to Easter. Mm. And so if we can help to remind our families and our guests of that, I think we, um, we, are, we are called to do that, to tell the yeah. whole story, to tell the whole Absolutely. truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> Absolutely. And Marsha, we've come to the end of our time together again thank you so much for joining me again this week and sharing stories of your missionary friends and lovely stories about your trees which are very inspirational i've been talking to marcia washburn about christmas in russia ecuador and central african republic and marcia i know my listeners were fascinated thank you once again for joining me and you have a lovely weekend and you have a very merry christmas and a happy new year And the same to you and all of your listeners, Vivian. Thank you, Marsha. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okie dokie. That's it. Very good, Casey. Thanks a lot. You are welcome. The time always goes so fast, doesn't it? I know it does. I know it does. And I'll send you the information when the shows go up. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. 
If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I've been chatting to Marsha Washburn, author of a series of e-books called Management for Mums. You can find her e-book, Managing the Holidays, where there are some very good tips to keep your holy days from turning into harried days at marshawashburn.com. It's linked at the Sociable Homeschooler and on my Toginet show page. Take the opportunity to buy it for just 99 cents now and reap some of the helpful tips Marsha and I have just been talking about. Marsha and her husband homeschooled their five boys in rural Colorado, where they're currently expanding the family home by an additional 1,900 square feet to accommodate their growing family of nine grandchildren, plus the attendant parents who go with them, of course. During this holiday season, let's remember Marsha's words that it isn't the size of your home, it's the size of your heart. And by using some of her tips and adding a few ideas of your own, you too can accommodate accommodate as many house guests guests who show up without having to say no room at the inn. I know you enjoyed hearing Marsha as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Go to my website to find all her past shows and discover this wonderful woman and her encouraging and practical teachings. In a couple of weeks, Marsha will be back on my show again to talk about missionaries who are celebrating Christmas on three different continents and the choices they have to make within those cultures. That show will be about Christmas. This one is about Thanksgiving. Even in a warm flat, which ours is, and the one in London was, electric blankets make such a difference at bedtime. When I was growing up, my parents installed electric blankets on our beds. It was probably my grandmother's gift to us because we had no central heating in our house, and the winters in London were and still are quite bitter. I don't know how many of you can imagine living in a house with no central heating. It was quite common in England right up to when I left 20-some-odd years ago. I lived in a massive house in Guernsey, and there were no radiators. Going from one room to the next was an exercise in teeth gritting during the winter months. Tearing myself away from a warm fire to run across a freezing hallway and put the kettle on in a drafty kitchen was not my idea of fun. We kept coats and scarves by the interior doors. My boarding school all those years earlier thankfully had central heating, large radiators large enough to sit on and toast our behinds. The nuns would tell us we'd get chillblains. We never did. I consequently appreciate central heating and still find electric blankets to be comforting when I turn in at night. As a child, for me, they were better than the hot water bottles widely used by my paternal grandmother, who used to put one in the bed about an hour before I climbed the stairs with a fresh bottle to augment the cooling one between the sheets. Halfway through the night, I tossed both the bottles out, as their cold sloshiness was miserable. Not so with the electric blanket. Over blankets could heat me up during the night. I had a control and could switch it on, silently in the dark, and be toasty in minutes. 
For decades, the familiar, I'll go and put the blankets on, resounded in my family home a couple of hours before bedtime in the anticipation of getting into a warm bed from a cold room. Remember, I'm English and we sleep with our windows open, our heat off was incomparable. On my arrival in America, electric blankets were unknown, at least in the circles I ran around in. Flannel sheets did the trick, as did a heavy down comforter plus woolly socks to keep my feet warm. I can hear you giggling, Mr. Blue Eyes. You can imagine my excitement when I found a brand new electric blanket amongst my parents' treasures in London a couple of years ago. And both my cowboy and I grew to appreciate and take for granted our lecky blankie, as we called it. My brother's boy surprised me by not knowing what an electric blanket was. When they came over for dinner one evening, I had them feel the blanket under my duvet after it had been warming up, and they said in unison, What's that? My brother, despite our similar upbringings, has obviously not shared the delight of the electric blanket. Or maybe he just closes his windows and leaves his heat on during the night. I'm thankful for the warmth in my home and the extra warmth in my bed. With Thanksgiving next week, I'm reminded that we never celebrated that holiday in England. I was talking some years ago to my producers at Toginet in Lindale, Texas, while I was in London, and told them sadly, It's just another day here. Dorts was at performing arts school in Essex and had been talking it up at school, and some of her friends had invited her around for a special meal. Her landlady had said she'd cook her a holiday meal too, but since Jane's vegetarian, the turkey tradition proved to be a bit of a challenge in her kitchen. Dorts' friends asked her, What do you eat at Thanksgiving? and she replied, Turkey. To which they responded, Well, that's what we have for Christmas. What do you eat for Christmas? and Malia said, Ham. And they said, Sandwich ham? I can just see their minds hard at work visualizing packets of sliced, processed ham on the American Christmas dinner table. These are from the same group of people who asked whether we celebrate Christmas Day on the same day in America. Not the brightest. During the holidays, when I'm not focusing on school, I discovered gaps in my curriculum. Do you do that? I discovered things the children really like to do, and sometimes it's not something I have a facility for or any interest in. I briefly considered being hiring a tutor, but of course we homeschooled, which meant there was only one income sometimes, and a tutor for each of the additional subjects I was maybe going to have to add to our already bursting curriculum simply wasn't in the budget. After consulting the school principal, also known as my cowboy, and dad, and taking a week or a month to recover from the shop that I could no longer be everything for my children at all times, I attacked this new problem with my usual fervor, but not without a little self-recrimination. How could I not have noticed art was missing from my perfect schedule? It had been there at the beginning. My oldest had hung a whole gallery of carefully drawn and labelled pictures over all the available wall space in our downstairs as an exhibition to mark the end of our first shining year as home scholars. I felt like a marauding government programme, cutting fine arts from my perfect little school, and realised how easily it could be done to make room for more important subjects like Latin and geography. After one particular holiday, I wrote... Add art on my Wildflower Academy schedule. Another holiday I considered the cry for football from my middle son and sighed. I thought I was all right on the gymnastics front, but my outdoor son was feeling claustrophobic in the chalk-filled gym after several faithful years, and no matter how many high-beam routines he did in an afternoon, he wanted to be in the trees or out running on a field, not confined to the local gym. Football found its way onto the list of enrichment subjects just below art. 
Then one fine summer morning, my oldest son wanted to perform, and I thought playing the clown in his one-room classroom would suffice. But obviously not. I hadn't exactly ignored his talent. I recognised that not every child, or adult for that matter, naturally sings the harmony line on every song he hears, and no one else in our family had the gift to reenact verbatim scenes from favourite films, those he was allowed to watch on Friday evenings, or conversations overheard while checking out at the store. He entertained us greatly, but he needed more. I hesitantly penned theatre onto my growing list of extracurricular activities. One Easter, it was my daughter's turn to hint at what they were interested in. We all joked about their unabashed talent as social butterflies. They wanted to know many more people than just five. Could one learn to throw parties, and was it appropriate for homeschool? I watched the youngest closely, hoping that something else would emerge, and picked up on her talent with scissors, having cut her hair and her sister's several times. And while she was at it, cutting necklines out of t-shirts, sleeves out of blouses, and feet out of hose. How had I missed her changing clothes twice before breakfast, and never ceasing to wow us with the varied combinations she could assemble from a mere half dozen articles of clothing? Sewing, I added with a flourish to round out my list. Reluctantly, I admitted that I needed to hunt for lessons outside my home school, preferably for free or in exchange for my skills, English literature and language. We happened upon theatre, which fulfilled all my children's needs in one fell swoop. Found the friends that could get together a football game at the drop of a hat, and allowed them to shine in each one of their unique gifts. Socialising and parties included, we were all nourished by the community theatre, and got in our fair share of volunteering and community service to boot. Where did the time fly? I have come to the end of another show for another week. We'll be continuing our unpacking this weekend, and I'm preparing for my reading session at my daughter's work, Kindercare. Next week's Thanksgiving, and we're doing a couple of things quite differently. So I'll let you know how it worked. You have a wonderful time with your family, and remember, there's more to it than Black Friday. Stay at home, play games, leave them all to someone else. Thank you for listening to the Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Tokinet Radio, my producer Casey, my returning guest this week, Marsha Washburn, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen. Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you His kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number six, verses twenty-four to twenty-six. Happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Doop 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 doop. Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. 
Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com.